Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. This is episode 413. This is our roundtable Friday show. We record this at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time every Friday. And you can join us live on our Facebook page and you can watch the panel take the mickey out of me consistently. I know my place. I know where I am in this world. There we are. And we've got a a powerful panel and I, I think I've rustled up some kind of interesting stories. And let's start off with my friend John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? John Locke, Lockdown Design and SEO. Adrian, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Hi, everyone. My name is Adrian. I am the CEO and founder of Groundhog, and we build marketing automation and sales tools as plugins for businesses that use WordPress. And I got your name right today, did I? You did, yes. Yeah, I'll get a start. And we've got a great guest. We've got Jason. Jason, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, My name is Jason, better known as Rez Online, Rez.com, where I help developers and designers figure out their niche and build predictable income so that they can live the life of their own design. Sounds great to me. I fantasize about that every night before my cocaine slippers. and we got Spence with us, Uncle Spence. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, Spencer Foreman from WPLaunchify.com, and we help people with marketing automation for their WordPress membership sites. And we got the Viking with us, Malton. He thinks everything and everybody is doomed. Doomed. Would you like to introduce yourself, Malton, to the listeners of yours? I'm Morton. I have opinions. Do you think we're still doomed, all of us? Yeah. All right, there we go. He's happy. Uh, um, so there we go. Uh, um, so um, before I go into my first story, folks, I want to talk about one of my great sponsors, and that's he's been with, they've been with us for two years. They're going to be with us another year, and that's Kinsta Hosting. And what is Kinsta Hosting? You might ask. Well, they're one of the best WordPress hosting companies on the market at the present moment, in my opinion. And we host the WP Tonic website with them for the past two years. Fantastic hosting. What You know, you get all the bells and whistles, staging site, one-click backup, the latest versions of PHP. Um, you get the power of Google Cloud. And what you get is a fantastic UX design that's really easy to use yourself or for your clients. And you get some of the best support on the market. Some, I would say, the best support on the market um, from people that really know what they're talking about. And you can email them or talk to them on chat. And they just deal with things. They don't have to ask somebody else. They know what they're talking about. If that sounds interesting for you or for your clients, go over to kinster.com, look what they've got to offer, and tell them that you heard about it from WP Tonic. Right, so let's go into our first story. Um, Newspack opens up application process to phase two. What did you think of this one, Spencer? I think it's another example of how even the king and the castle are going to use the components of WordPress as a platform to sell prepackaged stuff. 
you know, I keep harping on every week the fact that where we're going is a like WordPress is competing as a SaaS platform against other things, taking the components that exist, putting together with hosting and then the concierge service so that a newspaper company from the old school world can just get it done. makes perfect sense. It's just coming from the source this time. Yeah, I thought it was really, uh, I think it's interesting. What did you reckon, Moulton? <clears throat> Are you with us, Moulton? No, he's not with us. Um, I'm just trying to find the mute button. <laughs> on mute myself. Um, so when they first announced Newspack, I was commenting on how this is the specification of, it's just another step in the specification of WordPress. That has not changed. I mean, what you'll get, a Newspack website, including the migration of your existing site, free hosting, security updates, backups, and support for WordPress.com through February 2020. Membership in the Newspack community. Da, da, da. Basically, this is a way, this is another way for uh, Automatic to migrate people, and in this case, small news organizations that are struggling over to the Automatic platform um, for to to solidify its dominance. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that inherently in in pursuing other people. Um, the problem is uh, when a very large force in the market that already has a semi-monopoly uses that monopolistic power to further consolidate its power uh, without doing it in like without allowing other people on board. And I mean, they're saying like, oh, other people can join in this thing, but it really is like WordPress becoming more and more like a thing that supports automatic products rather than a thing that supports the community. Um, and if we look at this in connection with other things that are happening, you could imagine a future, not, I'm not saying this is happening, but you, know, you could imagine a future in which automatic went public or automatic got bought out by a company. And that company would then have control over not only WordPress.com, but now all these other new sites, right? So there's some, there's some interesting mechanisms here. I would have loved to see this be an open source project instead of a commercial project that's targeting one company, but who knows? It's hard to say what this is because there's very little public information about it. As usual. Uh, what do you reckon, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I echo a lot of what Morton said there. I mean, for me, it was when I saw this, I immediately thought, okay, well, they're expanding their reach. They obviously had that MVP of 12, but now they're trying to reach a, a, bright, a broader audience, if you will. But my thought was, was specifically with the, the offer, the free hosting and, and maintenance, essentially, um, then it expires. So they're kind of like locking people in and then they're going to say, well, now you're going to charge them for that. And if they aren't making the revenue, then they're stuck. It's like almost a vendor lock-in at that point because now they're publishing on that platform. They built some traction there. It's going to be hard for them to kind of unravel that. So I'm curious to kind of, I don't know, see where that goes because traditional publications, which they're going after, they're not really making a whole lot of money. I mean, I live in New York and there are major publications that I grew up with and I'm, you know, I'm 40, but major publications that I grew up with that have gone away, completely defunct and other ones shy of the times and maybe the journal 
at this point. They're so thin. It's like that newsletter that you get in the mail every single week from your town at this point. So I don't know how they're going to be sustainable moving forward once that that offer ends, if you will. I'll probably Amazon will buy them all. You know, um, Adrian, what do you think? So uh, my thought is that there are a significant amount of already quite prominent news sites who are on WordPress, on the enterprise version of WordPress.com. And I actually just, I pulled up a few of them here, like TechCrunch, BBC America, uh, the Facebook Newsroom, for example. A lot of these companies are already using a version of uh, Automatic's enterprise-level WordPress. And I see this as probably just an extension of that program that, yes, it's being, it's being branded as like the news stack, but, but really it's most likely just an extension of this pre-existing, uh, this pre-existing service that they already offer, and which is quite successful and uh, provides them with you know, a, a very significant amount of revenue. I don't necessarily see anything like terrible about it if they do get bought. I mean, part of Automatic's core values is maintaining that even though you know, they are a for-profit company and they maintain an open service for the people product that their, you know, their, their actual service offerings are still in line with the core values of providing you know, equitable services. And they're not necessarily, and they're being upfront about, you know, the whole pricing issue that starts off free and then it goes into paid. They're upfront about it. But hey, listen, you know, we're accepting applications. We're not probably not going to accept applications from businesses that once it actually rolls over into the revenue generation part that you're going to essentially flop and default on those payments. So they have an application process, not just any newsroom or any like news site that will probably be accepted in this trial program. I, I, I expect that they'll probably actually go through a proper review process. Like, is this company going to be able to pay the payments that we're expecting them to? How much revenue are they generating? And are they a right fit for this program? Or are we going to set them up on a self-hosted WordPress, doc, uh, WordPress site? Well, thanks for that. What do you reckon, John, to finish up? Yeah, I, I think that they're identifying a... Um, a category that needs some help. For one, they're partnering with Google on this. Two, they're targeting news sites, um, newspapers, uh, different things like that that have a web presence. Now, most newspapers are struggling with online revenue. Um, Cost of newsprint has has gone up uh, over the last few decades. And the fact that Google has invested so much money into this project it's and other things suggest to me that automatic and Google are, are partnering very closely or and they're working very tightly. It could work out for newspapers. I mean, that, that rely on something like AdSense or they rely on a different served up ads from, you know, double click or something like that. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I mean, it, from automatic's point of view, it makes sense. They want to be the CMS for news organizations. So, uh, definitely an opportunity. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, on to story two. Oh, God. Facebook app is back, and so is the privacy concerns. Um, what, what do you reckon? Face you re- app, not Facebook app. app. No? Oh, Face app. Face sorry. app. Face app. Well, <laughs> different cockroaches. Different cockroaches. Don't really matter, does it? Interesting uh, uh, turn of phrase there. Right, so it was a little. Well, say more, Bolton. What did you think Slip of the tongue? Yeah, well, yeah, there we go. Right. Okay, so for for framing reference, for those who don't know about this, if you've been on social media for the past week, you've seen people posting pictures of themselves. Yeah, too the- too many. Of- 
as old people or as uh, young people or as the uh, another gender from what they normally present as or something like that. All of this is generated by an app called Face App, in one word, camel case, um, <clears throat> that uh, pops up every once in a while for this exact reason that they have this feature that allows you to do this weird thing. Um, FaceApp is an AI-powered image generator that modifies images. So when you use it, you upload your image to, <coughs> to an online service that then makes changes to the image and sends it back to you. The big controversy, of course, is that um, they, in their uh, terms and conditions, say that they own the rights in perpetuity to any image you upload or any image they generate from images you upload to them, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Which sounds... And then in addition, there's all this stuff about like when you activate the app, you have to tell to say that the app has to have access to all the images on your device and your camera and your microphone and all that stuff, right? And every time this happens... And are they based in Russia? They're based in Russia. Yeah. So, but ignore that part for a second. Oh, yeah. Um, so every time, every time um, someone starts talking about the privacy of an app, you have the same story that takes place, which is people go, oh my God, the app has access to all your images and they're going to upload all your images. Okay, so let me just explain how phones work. For an app to be able to use an image on your device or use the camera on your device, it has to have access to your gallery or your camera. So this happened when Twitter's app came out. This happened when Facebook's app came out. This happened when every single app that does this come out. As people say, oh my God, now this thing has access to all your images. That is just the infrastructure of your phone. If you, if you want to use an image in an app, it has to have access to all your images. Otherwise, it can't use the images. So ignore that part. Um, the fact that they take ownership of the images you upload is problematic. But guess what? Other apps do the same thing. Facebook, Twitter, any other social media app does the exact same thing. The only hedge that people have on this particular issue is that this app comes from Russia. Now, Mr. Putin, you can say what you want about Russia, but there are some issues in Russia. And distrust the Russians over things. I love However, my coach. I love my coach. That's coming around this app and the total freak out has less to do with the actual concerns around this particular app than that people are more willing to freak out about the behavior of an app when it comes from Russia than the exact same behavior when it comes from other highly questionable sources, for example, the United States, which unlike Russia has a public policy of of basically using biometric data to target people. So if you want to freak out about this, that's great. By all means, do learn about how to protect your privacy online and all that kind of stuff. Just realize that you are complaining about some type of behavior that the platform you are complaining about it on is also doing. So this is a systemic problem in our entire online world, not just this particular app. The only the, the only thing with this app, though, is, is that in order to remove your data from there, you have to request it. And so... It's That's the same with all the other apps, too. That's GDPR. That's like anytime, if you want to go, try go deleting your data off Facebook. It'll take you... Well, I can do that from Google. I could remove yeah. all my data from Google. After Google was taken to court over it. 
to begin with, it was all possible. But I don't have to email them or reach out to them to do it. I can do it from their website. Yeah, after they were taken to court over it, right? And Norway is taking FaceApp to court for that exact reason. It was announced like yesterday or something like that, like the country. So, so that's, but that's again, something that applies to every single app. Like, like I said, I, I if you try to remove your data from Facebook, you'll run uh, into the same problem. You you haven't read the terms enough. He actually says you've got to fly to Russia and you've got to give him your right kidney to get your data back. Actually, sorry, Barry, I've been flippant there. Uh, right. Spencer, what did you think? Uh, I, I accept all that Morton says, and I'm in the same light, but I'll add a couple of twists on it. First of all, from a legal standpoint, I did find the terms of service were hilarious because for well, the, the first well, time... Well, flying fly to Russia, they have to give you... Well, to be completely fair about it, what I think is, is funny is that, look, listen, I have legal background, right? I know what there's a term called boilerplate. Nobody, but nobody, but nobody, but nobody ever read any EULA or any terms of service anywhere. In fact, with Apple, it's so egregious that, like, you're just scrolling down to get to the place where the button shows up so you can just get past it. I'm still, guys, I'm still scrolling, actually. I've got Remind me of Van Halen's brown M&M and the contract kind of a thing because they put language in there that was clearly designed to put a smile on the face of anybody that bothered to read it, especially an attorney. Like, we can use your stuff to sell to some guys who can use it for some other stuff over by there. And then if you complain, we can go to your house and take your kids and, you know, blah, blah. It's funny because it's so obviously designed to say, hello, you're giving us your picture. And you'll never see it again, whatever we do. Sorry, Spencer. I'm sorry. I I know a few Russians. They're not funny. (laughs) There's nobody nobody that could be that dumb, but there are. That when people have a Facebook account today, starting at Facebook, here's the simple rule. Morton, touch that. I'll add my own two cents. Don't put anything on Facebook that you don't think is gone the minute it's on Facebook. And then everything else is easy. That's why I only put pictures of myself from my adult, you know, film industry days and not pictures of me today or my kids because I know I look good in those shots. Hmm. If you're putting up contemporary pictures of you or your kids and talking about your business and you hate your boss, you get what you deserve in 2019. And this is just another example of it because Facebook is a cesspool like uh, like like Blade Runner, the, the the noodle market. Like there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Everybody's out to get you. It's really surprising that anybody still gets worked up over it. But Morton said it best. I just think that this is hilarious because the St. Petersburg thing is a huge red herring because where else does all your data go now anyway to die or to be used? Yeah, there you go. There we are. Yes. And they want to be the world currency. Facebook, their ambition is unstoppable. You know, right. just you know, you would give them all your money. You know. Um, Adrian, what did you think of that one? Well, I uh I suppose I, you're all for it. I suppose I, I downloaded it. Oh. I uh, I gave them my face. I looked like after I put it through the, the aging generator, I looked a little bit like James May from Top Gear, the Grand Tour. <laughs> The car enthusiast. So I'm, I wasn't exactly I'm not going there. The I'm not sorry. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, like I, I echo the sentiments of pretty much what everybody else has said so far. Like you're already giving, you know, if you if you were an avid user of social media, then you know your face, your profile pictures, all your data, it's already up there. And and you know, honestly, like the this the smaller like this the small app company out in Russia, you know, whether they want to give it to anybody or whoever, whatever. But there's like giant companies here in the United States that you're giving to that have a public policy of selling all of your data. So it's like yeah. big whoop. <laughs> uh, I'm supposed to live in Canada, you would have that attitude. Um, 
Sorry, John. What did you think of this one? Yeah, is as the panel has pointed out, most Silicon Valley um, apps and social apps, you're giving them the same permissions, and and uh, the big difference, I think, with FaceApp and and why people are freaking out about it, um, or it, you know, some people is because you can opt out through GDPR, but seeing as how it's based in Russia, like the government can with the snap of its fingers, just get that information. And, um, you know, not to, not to go all tinfoil hat, uh, but one of the things that I saw people floating on Twitter yesterday, uh, it was idea. You take some of these, you know, altered faces, you know, these, um, uh, face app, new people who are aged, you, we can use these to, uh, create new avatars for profiles for uh, the upcoming election in 2020. Exactly. Well, great. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. But right. there's already an app that's public and has an API that allows you to do that without data mining people's well, faces great. and does it so well that no one can tell they're fake. So like, like I, I, I am 100% in the belief that this data will be used for evil. So will all data oh on the internet. And at this point, oh, yeah. we've gotten to the point where there is no point freaking out over any one particular app that does something. The reason why people are freaking out about this is because a single data researcher wrote an article that basically says, you can't trust this app because it does all these things, not realizing that every other app does the exact same thing. Then a bunch of journalists jumped on that because this is the hottest shit on the internet right now. A bunch of people started retweeting that stuff. Then every single news organization in the United States jumped on it. And then eventually, all the real data security researchers are like, you're sharing this on Facebook. You do realize Facebook does this exact same thing, right? But no one shares that because that's not a fun story. And then, like yesterday, people started actually rolling the story that, look, the only reason why this one is being attacked is because of where it comes from. But have you seen where the data from the other things come from? So I'm not an apologist for this at all. I'm just saying, if you want to be concerned about your privacy, you have to be concerned about your privacy for all the apps you use, not just this particular one. Because the end result of this is people are going to start saying, oh, if I just don't use this app, I'm safe. No, and then I think you're correct there. Facebook and Twitter and you know Snapchat, all those things are, are equally... Um, just as as uh, insidious. So yeah, there you go. On to the next story. Yeah, on to the next story. Uh, um, how Yoast can become an attack vector for hackers and how to stop it. What did you think of this one, John? Yeah, so this one comes from uh, an SEO in Dallas called uh, Joe Youngblood, and his issue uh, with this, and and he reached out to Yoast before he published this article as well is um, there's a lot of brute force attacks that happen in WordPress. WordPress is the most popular CMS. 34% of the web and all that. And uh, a lot of these automated attacks are are people get a username and then they try and brute force the password. And his issue is, is it's not particularly just in Yoast that this is a weakness that makes it easier for people to find the username. It's a weakness in WordPress itself, but Yoast exacerbates it. Basically what happens is um, if you have author archives uh, of any sort, WordPress defaults to showing your username as the uh, name. 
Yoast by default has this use author archive uh, enabled in the sitemaps. A lot of people don't know to turn that off or, you know, to, to basically disable the author sitemaps. And so if you're a hacker, you could basically go to any site. The, the Yoast sitemap uh, URL is, is the same in all these sites. And then just look for the author archives. Lo and behold, now you've got the usernames of everybody on that site. Now you can plug that into your bot. And uh, just I want to. Can I qualify that quickly? It's the it's the authors, not the usernames of everybody on the site. Only people who are authors on the site. Just right. Qualify. No, oh, yeah. No, that's a great point. But yeah. Anyway, um, they're also in this article too at the bottom. It was Yoast's response to this, and and they said basically it, it only makes it like incrementally uh, easier to harvest this information. Um, but uh, there is something they said, like people can change the author name, but most people, you know, and especially like in the WordPress crowd, I hate to say that, but there's a lot of DIY people and they're not going to know to do that. What do you reckon, uh, Adrian? Uh, well, as with any sort of platform or security, if there is a group of people that are determined, you know, to, to make sure that they get access to your site and, you know, they have like a team of like one or two people and that their sole interest for the next 24 hours is to log into your site, then they will do that regardless of what are whatever plugins or whatever that you can do. All you can do is just take steps and to, to mitigate the chances that of that happening, install a proper WordPress security plugin, uh, you know, limit brute, you can install the brute force attempts plugin, right? Limit brute force attempts to three attempts until they get, you know, their IP address blacklisted, right? So there, and there are plenty of other plugins, not just Yoast, that also create these author archives, any, any of the SEO plugins really that generate sitemaps. Uh, so it's not just Yoast and it is, it's kind of just like, again, it just makes it marginally easier. I don't, I don't think that it's as big as a deal as, this article really makes it out to be uh, because simply it's like, it's, it's an easy fix. Go install a brute force login plugin. Uh, they're freely available. There's like four of them on the WordPress repository themselves uh, or go install something like security or WordFence, anything like that. But at the end of the day, if someone is determined to log into your site and cause damage, then there are a variety of different ways that they will be able to do that eventually. Yeah. What do you reckon, Jason? Yeah, pretty much exactly what Adrian said. If they want in, they're going to get in and um, a list of... Do you think they're Russians? (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Just annihilating them, huh? But, uh, I mean, you know... I can't say too much about Yo. I've had a difficult relationship with Yoast and their team. Um, I'm not going to go into details. I'm trying to be as, as... just go in the WP Tonic archives. You'll you'll know what it's all about. <laughs> you'll see a bit of history, put it that way. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you know, like what Adrian says, and and there's nothing, you know. I again, I think it's just best practice when you run a site, like, and to, you know, to echo what John said about the do-it-yourselfers, like, just have some common sense in regards to your education about running a site. And so, if you don't know, then put some security. Get figure out, ask some questions. Maybe hire somebody to do. Yeah, I, I know a really good. Password. I know a really good support company. Actually. Absolutely. Yeah. Go ahead. And and it's, and so you know that that's why I suggest like. Like, you know, it's, it's just know what you're getting into. Um, and while, yes, it may be marginally, you know, improving the likelihood of somebody potentially 
gaining access to your website, if they want in, they're going to get in anyway, regardless of what you do. Like if your username is admin, it's like <laughs> first, first choice for a brute force attack. Right? It's just, it's just, and, and if your password's password one, two, three, right? And so like, it's the same thing. It's like, just use some best practices and common sense in these things. And if you don't know, then ask the question or do a Google search. Or if you're by yourself and you, 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 you have no budget to hire somebody, just educate yourself a little bit more. And instead of blaming the actual software where it's not a bug, it's just the way that that software is designed and built. It would be so much better if you go to Drupal. There we go. Uh, um, Spencer, what did you think of um, Yo's reply to this? Spencer, Uncle Spencer? I think, I think you're more in danger of having a Yoast attack vector if you attend one of their live events and have a drink. <laughs> I think that's a more dangerous aspect. But uh, to be completely fair, not to duplicate anything, he said, this is the dumbest article ever. Not that Joe is dumb, but this article is dumb because... That's why I chose it. You know, it came for me. Forgetting, forgetting Sakuri and all the ways you can protect yourself, which you should anyway. Anybody who is an author on WordPress can be scraped just by scraping the goddamn site with the most basic tools because the author shows up like Joe by Joe Youngblood. Oh, I wonder what his username is. It says it's Joe and you can see it in the HTML. So this whole thing is like, what the hell are you guys wasting ink for? I mean, it's just dumb. So whatever. I passed on any other logical comments. The SEO beast has to be fed, doesn't it? Um, Wilson, what did you reckon? What Spencer said. This is just dumb. Uh, this is like, I remember I built a website for a bank uh, some years ago. You did. Uh, and was it Russian? Within, within hours, someone was like, uh, someone contacted the bank and said, oh my God, your site is extremely insecure. I'm able to log into all the stuff. I know all the usernames, da 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 And the bank, un, un, like, of course, freaked out about it. And I said to them, sure email him back and tell him that if he can hack into the site, you'll pay him like $10,000. And then of course, nothing happened because WordPress, like Spencer said, exposes all usernames by default. So this, the, the premise of the article is nonsense. More importantly, not only is this a known issue that no one cares about because it isn't an issue, but the sitemap functionality that he's talking about is becoming part of core. So, Attacking Yoast over this is like a pointless gesture at this point because this exact functionality is now being built into WordPress core. Now, if you want to talk about issues around scraping on WordPress, the REST API is a much bigger problem because you can use the REST API to scrape the entire contents of a website very easily. But that's a, a side issue. The, the bigger issue for me is that this uncovers or shines a light on this... Um, internal problem with WordPress in the way that WordPress treats its regular users, which is everyone in this panel has said, of course, when you have a WordPress site, you need to take care of your security. And to do that, you need to install a bunch of plugins. That's crazy. There are track tickets that have been sitting in track. Like track tickets that have been sitting untouched for six to eight years um, that say two things. One, make limiting login attempts a, a default feature in WordPress core, and two, make two-factor authentication a default feature in WordPress core. None of those two things are sexy. 
Therefore, they're not giving the, pri- given the priority to actually do it. That means that the onus is on the individual user to know that they need to install these plugins. And right. unlike an SEO plugin, which everyone wants because they're like, oh, I have a website, I need SEO. So they go and install an SEO plugin. There is no one out there actively telling people, hey, you need to also set up two-factor authentication and you need to limit your login attempts. So what ends up happening is the, rev- the every average regular user does not know that they need to do this. And the onus has been put on them to know how to secure their site rather than WordPress taking the responsibility of at least providing them with the necessary tools. So this is just WordPress, WordPress leadership not doing their job in protecting their users. And then as a result, there are like multiple, like the multiple iterations of this end up with people attacking an SEO plugin for something that really is an integral pro- problem of how WordPress is built. I do have a reply, though. I just, uh, I just want to see the thought that for the reason, uh, just as not, I'm not an apologist either, but a part, uh, a, a reason for why they may be a little bit soft on the whole implementing some pretty standard security features into the platform is because there are businesses and developers who essentially rely on traffic of people going and, and buying and installing their plugins, like all of the security plugins that we've mentioned thus far. And core doesn't necessarily want to be like, all right, well, we're going to just implement this in core and essentially stomp on your business. Uh, just as just as a part, you know, a, a reason for why they may be a little bit more hesitant. And I don't know if they're like lobbying or that or anything. But I don't that, know. That, w- that would be great if that was the reason. It's not. The reasons are, uh, one reason is that they don't want to, quote, introduce extra barriers for users because they want to make WordPress as easy as possible. Like you can go read the tickets. People actually say that, but they don't want to do things like have 2FA on by default because then it'll be harder for people to use it. Um, The other reason is quite literally, no one is willing to take the time to do this. There's several projects that have been started up and the volunteers that volunteer their time to build this just go, oh, look, squirrel. And then they just run off to other things. And the problem is that the companies that fund WordPress development almost across the board are investing all their money in new shiny stuff because it's what can, they can brag about. So instead of actually focusing on maintenance and security and things like that, they end up focusing on new shiny crap that no one really needs. And occasionally you'll have people that you know sit down and do the hard work of solving problems like this, like Andre, uh, <coughs> who's been spending the two, past two years fixing how WordPress handles dates. The problem is when a single developer works on that, they then need a proponent to actually push that in. So even if the work is completed, it might take years before it gets implemented. And because it was worked on in a silo, people will be like, no, by default, we're going to assume that this is wrong and we're going to have to redo all the work just to make sure that it's working correctly. So there is a structural problem in WordPress leadership that has led to us not solving this problem. And this this conversation we're having now is like a... uh, secondary consequence of irresponsible decision-making around security in WordPress that is now leading to people blaming SEO plugins for something that isn't a problem. You're forgetting, you just need to put it in Jetpack and it all goes away, doesn't it? Uh, um, (laughs) We're going to go for a break, folks. We'll be back in a few moments. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. 
They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. Hey, there you go. We're coming back, folks. You've got any problems with your website? Put Jet back in. There we go. Uh, um, that's what you're supposed to do. I've been sarcastic. That is my purpose. On to the next one. Oh, God, another one. <laughs> Elon Musk unveils, was it Neuralink's plans for brain-reading threads and robots to insert them? So, um, I don't know. Jason, what did you think of this one? Um, I don't know. I guess a long You didn't way. expect to be talking about this on a WordPress thing, did you? No. Uh, when I saw this, it was. It, I, I thought it was... I don't know. I, I guess in the midst of, of, I guess, where his mind is, I guess this is something that, I don't know, it's in the future. I, I feel like when I was reading this article, all I could think about was Jarvis from Iron Man, right? And so like where he's just looking around on a screen and he's thinking about or tell it, talking to the screen and like things are just happening. And so for me, and this is a little bit of a sarcastic thing that I was thinking about as I was reading is, is as a developer, I have many windows and screens open all, all the time. And there are times where I'll just look at another window and want to switch to that window and start typing and realize I'm still back in the code editor. So I've always said to myself, I want eye recognition from my camera to be able to know what tab I'm looking at so that I don't have to hit command tab. And so I thought, well, maybe this is the, the precursor to that. Um, so to take a page out of, out of Jonathan, you know, obviously a bit sarcastic, but um, never, for me, never, Jason, never. But for me, you know, if it, if it benefits the greater good of humanity and allows the capability of, 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 People that are have limited capability, then I'm all for it. Um, right, I definitely, as, need, I definitely need it. Then, don't I, Jason? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, that's kind of how I took it. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of it outside of that. I mean, it for me, it was just it was a lot of, I guess, science science fiction to me. And I don't know how. I'd be interested to see how it advances further. Um, uh, you know, obviously they mentioned some things that is happening now in that, in that space, but how it advances further, how it goes through FDA and all the rest of it. I mean, for me, that's kind of where I feel like, okay, that the buck is already stopped at this point. Yeah. Well, when you get to my age, Jason, anything that can help you, you're for it. So, well, Uncle Spencer, what did you think? I suppose, you know, robot man, which you are, I suppose you're all for it, like me. Well, I think there's three parts that I can address very simply. The first part is from the standpoint of the mechanics, this is the first step because it's a mechanical thing, but there's no way in God's green earth that the later version of this are going to require them to put threads in your brain because the lawyers will take care of that because one of those little things breaks off and then the whole process is done. I see a Geordi LaForge from Star Trek Next Generation headband thing that will interface with your brain efficiently. Step two. You take those crazy-ass dogs from Boston Dynamics to open doors and steal your children, and you put a brain interface on, and now you've got where this is going, which is step three. We're doomed. This is the antidote or the accelerator to our impending doom between humans as a biological entity and AI because 
The only way to fight the Terminators will be to have a Terminator body that you control yourself through your own mind interface. And the only reason of your biological being existing at some point will be maybe different or limited in the future that I see, even a happy future, let alone a dystopian. So whereas it starts today to be a little bit like, you know, Luke gets a new hand after they tear it off, it can move very quickly into we're all fighting virtual wars, like sitting inside of our pod somewhere with mechanical bodies doing all the lovemaking and war making. So whichever way it swings, this one is going to be hard to put back in the bottle, but it could also be in my mind's eye, a sort of a, a counterbalance to the, you know, AI just physically taking over the world without humans. The humans are going to have to have their own mechanical robots to fight back or something. I just think things are getting more. And by the way, WordPress 10.1 will be using a brain interface. And stuff. Well, I don't really see what the difference, you know, um, if you have a computer, it's a device that enhances your ability. If you have a, a phone, a smartphone in your hand, it's a device, you know, four wheels in a car, a motor vehicle is a device. So you have a device that um, that enables you to integrate with things more easier. You know, I don't see any problem. Absolutely. First step, that's how it goes. And I, I've talked about this in a million shows. I don't anticipate we'll be talking about like, oh, pixels on your responsive screen anymore in a couple of years. It will be talking shh, to my girlfriends over here. I have oh, yeah, you're, you're virtual. Or, or it'll be thinking about what to do next and your thoughts will go to the person in the room or to the robot or to the mechanical arm that takes care of you. Whatever it is, we're moving in this direction for both the business purposes and the personal purposes. But the sociological problems that come along with it are obviously... Yeah. Well, I'm going to go on to another panelist that you know, thinks this is a terrible idea. Moulton, I've got the feeling you, you remarked on Twitter that you thought this was a terrible idea. Yeah, this is, this is a long time coming. I mean, science fiction has been writing about how bad of an idea this is for 100 years now. Uh, and all the scientists that have been looking at neural linking and, and stuff like this basically come out with the same conclusion that this is one of those tread carefully territories because the second we do this, the second we do this in a way that allows a computer to put information into your brain, you are now creating a direct pathway to controlling people. And I mean, all the research around this if you actually go look at it, it's super disturbing because the research around it has been basically putting electrodes into the heads of mice or cockroaches or rats or other animals and then see if you can control them. Literally radio-controlled animals to do what you want, right? For military purposes. This, that's, the, that's where this technology comes from. Um, and the references that they're using where they're talking about these neural links that they've used to help people with um, accessibility issues so that like when they are immobilized due to some reason, they can use their brains to control mice on computers or cursors on computers or whatever. Those are good examples of positive uses of this technology. However, the negative uses of this technology are far more extensive than the positive ones. And it's funny because Americans in particular are really paranoid about this idea of mind control. I mean, there are people in America who think that planes that are flying overhead that leave contrails are actually spraying, I don't know, some sort of gas that intrudes mind control, that the fluoride in their water that's meant to protect their teeth is actually a mind control substance. Like everything is mind control. And then a uh, a f like a technologist comes and says, hey, I have an actual mind control device I want to drill a hole in your head and install. And people are like, yes, let's do more of that. So 
there, there's some um, issues around how people perceive these things and, and how far into the future they're see, looking when they consider this. What I see from this is, number one, it's a vector for introdu- like, that will cause tampering of some kind. Either people will try to hack themselves or other people will try to hack them. Any kind of computer will be hacked at some point. Um, all our computers are now connected, which means that other people will try to hack them by default, either intentionally or unintentionally. Um, this will just provide a vector to introduce computer viruses and adware into people's brains. Um, number two, I'm not sure we want this. Like th- This idea of having a neural interface to a computer is appealing on the cover. But if you actually go read the book, it's not so appealing because it introduces all these very challenging elements about understanding how things work and how brains work. Number three, I don't think this is possible. I mean, it's possible to do things like, like basically you put on a helmet and you can do this right now. You can go to a research lab and you can try this. So they'll put a bunch of electrons on your head and then you can sit there and think for a very long time. And then eventually the electrode will pick up that when you think about like the color blue, something happens up here. And then the computer will associate the color blue with moving the bottom, the button to the left, right? The problem is if you put that neural link on a bunch of different people, what it'll pick up from the same location is different. So, it's, so the brains of individuals are unique in that they use different parts of the brain to do different things. There is no global map of like, this is exactly how the brain works, which means individual people's brains work differently. And what individual people's brains associate with a specific action change depending on the people. So doing things like uh, memory storage will likely never happen because we don't understand how memory is stored in brains because it's all done differently for each individual brain. Um, any kind of control mechanism that allows you to say, like, if you just think, uh, like, think about lo- lifting your arm and the robot lifts its arm. That's not actually how this works at all. It's more like, think about this extremely abstract thing of like grass growing on a fence and then all of a sudden an arm lifts. So uh, the, the idea that we can get to a point where we can have a universally installable device into brains that will just interface with brains is wishful thinking unless someone comes up with a better theory of how the brain works, at which point we're in a territory I do not want to be in. No, no. So this is squarely one of those, can we do a bunch of crap with the brain and electrodes? Yes. Should we? Absolutely not. Should just stop doing this research. Now, in just a final point, did you see the reason why Elon Musk wants to do this? He says that if we don't do this and basically augment our brains to make ourselves more intelligent, AI will take over. So the argument he has is research has already run amok. Computers are going to take over the world. So we have to become computers to beat the computers at their own game. And then they're like, well, why don't you stop doing the AI shit? And then this isn't the problem. We don't have to hack our brains. Oh, we never do that. That's too nice. That's not how how any of the military guys think or do with the governments. The the history is always they have to get to a Cold War situation. And that's what he's referring to, in my opinion. It's the Cold War is mutually assured destruction. We have robots controlled by our brains to fight off the AI's robots that they built for themselves. That's where it's all going. I mean, it's all fun and games. Adrian, what did you think? You look bored. I'm not bored. Yeah, I did. No. The the future is now, and uh, I am appreciative of the fact that there are people out there in the world doing research that's way above my pay grade. I don't... I don't... it's yeah, I don't. It's it's really cool, and uh, I don't know where it's going. I, I echo the sentiments of pretty much everybody of what everybody said so far. 
And uh, it's just like so far like out in the future for me that I, I just I'm gonna let I'm like I'm gonna let John be the kind of arbitrator. See, John, I'm I'm partly torn by Maldson's argument and Uncle Spencer's because fundamentally you know, we've had, you know, it doesn't education, going to a school, you know, going to a university, well, depends on the university you go to, you know, gives you more ability, you know, having a computing environment gives you more ability, you know, you've got to know how to use it and do something or have an eating device. So aren't we just talking about giving people more ability? Yeah, I mean, altruistically, this could be used for that, but uh, I have so little faith in people that, that I can attend to side with Morton that everything is is perverted for you know a financial gain or or power at some point. Um, and I, I kind of do see that it, it'll be just like I don't know if you, any of you have ever seen that early '80s uh, movie with Robin Williams called Toys. Where uh, basically his his he's a toy inventor, but his dad is like a military guy, and they train up uh, like the kids. They're basically playing video games, but they're basically like uh, uh, killing people like with drones and stuff like that. And this was like thirty years ago. Uh, this is the same thing, which it'll probably eventually be used for is is to send machines into battle without risking uh, human lives. Um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of good that can, can come from this, um, but it, it's a lot of ethical uh, choices that have to be made about how how it's going to be used. Um, and I think there's there's always, you know, whenever there's an altruistic technology, there's always people that are going to use it for something that's um, exploitive. Right, yeah. Go on, sorry. The first, the first people to monetize this technology will be the less scrupulous of the highly visited sites on oh, the course. internet up there. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about Facebook? Oh, sorry, yeah. All right, then, uh, um, on to the last and final one. Oh, good time. Yeah, let's go, and then we do our um, The Lost Frontier. It sounds like something out of Star Trek, but actually Adrian was hoping it was. A um, bit of a long article, a bit too long. But it kind of, um, it had some echoes about some other stuff. First of all, um, let's start, um, let's, let's try our guest. Did our guest read it? I bet he didn't. Jason, did you, what did you think of this article? I mean, to be honest, I skimmed the bottom 20%. Yeah. I, was, like, yeah. I don't, I don't, you don't get a bad mark for that. I understand. <clears throat> but, I mean, I come from... <laughs> it, it, it was difficult for me to read because I, I'm not in that space. I'm on the complete other side, right? Like I have home automation. I have all of these things where, and I live just outside of New York city. And so for me, like a real populous area to, to put myself in that space, it's weird. But for me, it, it brought like, I, I took some things away from that article that, you know, like even though that the internet allows us to, you know, connect with people across the planet in a nice way, there's still spots on this planet that are so sparse and vast and everything else that people can go still off the grid. And so for me, that was kind of refreshing in a way where, you know, like case in point, Nathan Barry and a whole bunch of other people, I mean, he's starting to unfold this silver mine town, right? They, they, they purchased 
this plot of land. And, uh, you know, they're kind of resurrecting that town. And, you know, I had a conversation with him when he was here in New York and, and I asked him a lot about it. Like, you know, what, what is it? Like, how did you find this? And I didn't even know this could be possible and those sort of things. And he kind of said, yeah, there's plenty of space out West where the, the land's just deserted and the States own it, but yet they want people to inhabit it or, invest in it in some sort of way. So they're restoring this silver mine town. And so it's kind of nice to maybe from my perspective to visit that and hear the stories and meet the people that actually are there and <clears throat> go back to almost a, a period in time in which that is almost lost to, to an extent. Um, but for me as who I am and where I'm at mindset wise, I mean, like, you know, outside of my kid loving the fact that he could just run around and get dirty and, and learn, you know, from a different time period, you know, I, it's not as something that I'm appealed to, I guess, is really what, I, what it comes back to. It, it, it kind of appealed to me, Jason, because I live in Nevada and I live in Northern Nevada near Lake Tahoe. But if you go down Route 50, um, there's just emptiness. And I never, until I lived in this this country, I didn't, understand the vastness and there's something in the american psyche to go on a road trip and also just get away from other americans which um did you say i think this might have echoed with you john a bit as well did it or yeah i actually read this whole thing uh during during the episode like right now and i'll tell you what it reminds well, it's more me. interesting than listening to me isn't it yeah well i'll tell you what it really reminded me of so I, where I grew up was in Northern California, like above the Bay, above the North Bay and um, in a little town called uh, Redwood Valley. And if you go North of there, there's a lot of places, little towns <clears throat> where people just want to be left alone. You know, Leightonville, Leggett, um, you know, Boonville, Philo, places like that. And what this is about is like living on the actual prairie, which is like exponentially more difficult than living in those areas. But it's the same kind of thing that people that the author was profiling in this article that he talked to. Basically, it's people, <clears throat> they're proud. They want to take care of themselves, but they also want to be left alone. They want to be isolated and, you know, just kind of be away from people. And that was kind of like the vibe of, of everybody that was, that was in this. And you could buy the land really cheap. Um, so that's a plus. But, you know, almost none of these plots had running water or even a well or anything like that. So it's, it's really, really difficult. It gets really cold out there. Uh, so these are people that, that really just want to be isolated. Uh, so it really did resonate with me in a lot of levels. So. Well, it's also the kind of um, libert kind of strains of libertarianism, not quite, yeah. but also the, yeah, they're libertarian. Then you got, yeah. then you got the artists, the um, they can live out there cheap if they got a kind of some kind of income that coming in regularly from the state or investment. Um, there's a whole groups of people, and it, it kind of fit into a whole. There's a whole subculture that are into that, isn't it, John? Yeah, definitely. You know, and too, like these people weren't like people who just wanted to live off the government. I mean, for the most part. No, I mean, people, I mean pen, they had pensions or whatever. Yeah. Know. Yeah, basically, they just, you know, wanted to drop out of society. Um, you know, it that's just, what I got out of it. 
So what do you reckon, Spencer? Did did it any kind of um, jive with you or did you think it, the whole article was a heap of crap? I think it just exemplifies very clearly that the problem in humanity or our political humanity situation is not about space. It's about there are those who choose to live in a society where they're with other people and those that don't. In this particular case, this lifestyle to me, I'm familiar with, I've seen it. We have some of that even here in the Midwest if you go into parts of Michigan where there's a lot of space. But the people who live in those places are sort of in the Mad Max Thunderdome mentality, which is I'm by myself, I got the gun, I got the dog, don't bother me. If the cops show up for that permit, like, it's my land, get away. And I'm using a... It's my land, get off it. Just so those who choose to live in society, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, whatever, make a... Do you call Chicago society, do you? Well, I mean, you know, I have a bias. I want civilization. I accept I want to be with people because... That's what my life. What's the last time you went to West Chicago? Chicago? Oh, I've been, I have a real estate developer. I've been all over the city. It doesn't matter if it's north, south, east, west. The point is not that. The point is even in the west side or the south side, people accept a certain level of you're living in civilization. So even if you break the rules, you know the rules are there. These folks are representing something that once the AI takes over and Skynet is running the planet, they will be living out there in their trailers and it'll be one of those Hollywood movies, which is, you know, looking like you're not there and alive so that when the drones come over, you can shoot at them. That's what this is about. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just a choice. Personally, I sort of lost my mind a little, even being in Southwest Michigan in the summers and stuff, because there would be days would go by where I wouldn't have contact with a real person unless I drove into town or something. And even with the internet, I started to go a little loopy because I come from a world where in Chicago, you can hear everybody all the time. Jason will know what I'm talking about. Like there's a drone of human society going on at the background. And you go out in the middle of nowhere and all you hear is chirp, chirp, chirp. You start to go a little like losing it. So. Uh, what do you reckon, Moulton? Did it, did it gel with you at all? Or did you think the whole article was a heap of crap? I didn't read this article, but no, I, I, think I, understand the, I think I understand the concept here. I mean, if you... Endless research has shown us that human beings are hardwired to be out in nature. Uh, they prefer wide open spaces and green and everything. Uh, so like we, we know that living in like the suburbs or in the city isn't actually good for your mind. Um, human beings are also hardwired to be social creatures, but social creatures that communicate directly with other people, not through a device, but actually in person. And we see that people who are extremely depressed isolate themselves and that becomes more depressed. And one of the best ways of dealing with it is actually making them go out and socialize with other people. We also see that people who communicate mainly through computers become more depressed than if they go out and communicate with those same people in the real world. Um, What I find interesting about this whole phenomenon of this... um, uh, romanticizing the wild outdoors is if you watch like History Channel or Discovery Channel or anything, there are all these shows about people who are like homesteaders or who go live out in like the bush in Alaska and, you know, uh, have to go dig in the ground for water and kill their own food and everything. And there's this, there's this deeply romanticized idea that living out in the bush is the thing that everyone wants. Now, if you actually go and live out in the bush, you very quickly realize that this is something that appeals to a very, very small group of people and the rest of them think it's, a, think it's appealing but don't actually enjoy it. 
in the real world because it's a lot of hard work. I think this is a reflection of what's happening in our society that we've gotten to the point where we're so, we're at the same time so packed together yet so separated from each other that anything, any kind of situation that introduces a, a more natural framework for us in that we go out away from the city, we interact with real people and nature in a real way is extremely appealing to us. However, we're not willing to step away from all the convenience of modern life. So we get things like glamping where you're basically going out into the forest, but you have all like, you have the running water and the toilet and the internet and the, the right? So well, we got there's, Bernie, we got a thing called Burning Man. Um, that um, it's the main yeah. coming up where we have over fifty thousand plus, but it's been totally taken over by the digitality of San Francisco, yeah. and they turn up with these enormous campers with everything to live three, four days in the desert and romp around naked. <laughs> you know, so, if uh, so if you want to play social anthropologist or anything like this, this is this is a symptom of. The romanticizing of the world that our foreparents four desperately wanted to get out of. Right? Yeah, it's got a little bit I of mean, romance. when you have when you have people who are like, let's go gold mining in Alaska. It's like, what? No. That was like people who had absolutely no money and were so destitute that they had nowhere else to go. They went and gold mined in Alaska. That is not a viable thing. When you watch these shows, you're like, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? Like you're basically trying to find the scraps of the other people who ruined their lives trying to find scraps of gold as a way of life instead of trying to figure out what is wrong with society that puts you in a situation where this is your only option. I would, I would quite put it that far, but I agree with you. I see where you're coming from. And there is an element of romanticism, but there's also an element of, oh, this system's so fucked up, I'm out. And then also there's this American element of, which I wasn't aware of, especially if you live out in the West, the vastness of these areas, you know, and the, and there's also an element of, of romantic purity in getting away from the grime of everything else. Right, on to the final part of the show, folks. Um, our tips... Of the week, and my tip is, my recommendation is a program called Link Whisperer. Uh, um, it basically helps you build internal links uh, um, to post an article in your website, which you should be doing, and it, but it's such a pain in the posterior. So I was recommended um, by this by Adam on WP Crafter, and I bought a license and I've been using it. And it's really quite good, actually. I highly recommend it. Um, John, have you got something to recommend? Yeah, and I, um, we were talking about um, editing the uh, user slug and the username, visible name, of your um, WordPress uh, you know, install. So here's something that I've used before called Edit Author Slug. It's a free plugin in the repo. It'll allow you to uh, change the uh, URL to your author name. Um, so, you know, it might be useful. Yeah, I'd like to point out my one isn't free, but you can buy one site license for less than around 40 bucks at the present moment. So it won't bankrupt you. Adrian, got anything you want to recommend? Or you, anything come on your radar? 
Uh, so I did not pre- prepare ahead of time a uh, a oh, well. So I'm just going to do a shameless plug, if that's okay. <laughs> Go. Um, everybody so, else, everybody else does. If you uh, if you find yourself in need of uh, marketing automation, you want to send emails to your list. You want to manage. You want to start building your list of contacts, your subscribers, your customers. Uh, then you can use Groundhog, which is a free plugin available on the WordPress repository, and essentially builds up an entire CRM and marketing automation and sales platform right in your WordPress website. So there's no software as a service, no integrations, no nothing. It's just all pre-connected there for you. And you can just go to the WordPress plugins repository, type in Groundhog with uh, two Gs at the end, so trademark it, and uh, be on your merry way. Yeah, it's a great product. Go and try it. I highly recommend it. Jason, is there anything you want to plug or anything you want to recommend? Or? Yeah, I, the only thing I would suggest, and it's a tool that I've been using now for a few months, is Bonjuro. Um, it allows you to send uh, personalized videos, quick videos to people and create uh, experiences for your potential customers and customers uh, in your business that delights them. It just shows up as a email and they can watch the video and and. Oh. and it's an unscalable thing, obviously, but it's something that uh, you, you want to inject a little personality and a little delight in, into your business and your customer's day. Go ahead and give it a shot. I'll put that in the chat, will you, Jason? The yeah. link in that. So I've got it for the show notes if you can, Jason. Um, Spencer, um, anything you'd like to plug or recommend? Ironically, I do. Oh, I, yeah. have a, I have a triple play. I, I want to know what Jason's link is because a tool that I use frequently, and I used it yesterday, to talk to is, is a free tool called Loom, which allows you to very easily and quickly screen share anything that's on your mind. The only, and, the, the only thing with it, I, I thought you did a nice job on that video explaining Groundhog. We're giving you a lot. Well, of, that's what I was going to say. Yesterday. But, but it, took, but it kept, it kept choking the video. Yesterday, I made a s'more. Or a, or a Reese's peanut butter cup. I combined three of my favorite things together. I had a spontaneous need to make a video because I was so excited about how this new CRM, sort of new since February, for WordPress working natively called Groundhog.io works with WP Fusion, which is an essential tool for anybody and a sponsor of the show in the past, where if you want to do any kind of marketing automation, Go watch this video. I'll give you the link to the video. But Loom made it dead bang simple to share this with the crowd of people who are using either or both plugins or looking. And for anybody who wants to see for themselves, you could use any of these tools independently, but put them together and it's delicious. Yeah, Thank you for that video, by the way, Spencer. It was much appreciated. It was very easy because it was true. Right. Molten, have you got anything you want to recommend or share with the listeners and viewers? Oh, for those of you who are interested in code and coding things, um, the original source code for the Apollo moon landing has been published on GitHub. Uh, Now, this is interesting because it shows you how far we have come and it also shows you how... uh, It gives you an idea of how far people had already come in the 50s and 60s because... Reading that code is just astonishing because it's like you're down at processor level, right? So, so the entire pile, you've seen the picture of Margaret Hamilton, right? The woman that stands next to this enormous stack of books. That's the source code for the Apollo moon landing. Um, that entire code now sits on GitHub. And reading through it and realizing, A, someone 
typed all that crap by hand. There were no code editors. There were no syntax highlighters. There was no assistant that was literally like, let's invent a coding language and write programming for a computer and send it into space and then allow it to guide people to land on the, pl- on, uh, the moon. And then secondly, that all that crap was then put on the punch cards and fed into a machine. Like, you know, we complain about the complexity of tool chains today. Go read the Apollo code and realize that that was the beginning of where we are today. And that, you know, for all the complexity of today, things were a lot more complex in the past. If you're, if you're into that, by the way, there's a whole series of YouTube videos, two, two things. The guys who have the physical hardware are restoring it. And these dudes get together and they travel around the world to each other's places, mechanically fixing all the wired computer boards. Then there's another girl who talks about the literal things that went right and wrong, including like with the, the first moon landing where they had to go into manual mode, but there was a piece of code that was written to particularly allow this thing to reset yeah. itself within a, and it's like you get into this world where you're like, holy shit, what is everybody complaining about today? Because like, it's like a, a two-bit computer, hand-wired, got those guys over 200 and something thousand miles away. Well, it's, it's fascinating too, because you realize when they flew to the moon, they didn't know if they could actually land. <laughs> like they, they were like, we don't know what the surface of the moon is. It could be like a, basically an ocean of dust. So when you land, it just goes like quicksand, right? So, so and, and they didn't know if it would actually work. They'd never actually, like, it, the, the, the whole thing is such a leap of faith. Like, that just, like, we believe in human ingenuity. This will totally work. We're just going to throw people into space and then it'll be fine. They'll just be like slingshot around another planet for a while. And then they'll like go and land on it with this hokey code that we've never actually tested. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. And then it actually was fine. And you can tell that like from there, and the fact that they spun this shit up in less than 10 years, you can see how like our faith in computers and technology was influenced by the outcome of that. Just imagine if that hadn't worked. Imagine if they like, they sent them into space and then they got stranded on the moon, right? And we were sitting there like, hello, hello, do you have any food left? No, <laughs> cool, right? But somehow it worked. And that, that is the reason why we believe so much in computers that we're now willing to wire them into our brains. Yeah. Uh, I've got one final recommendation, actually. If you're, if you're a little bit depressed about the present political situation... Go over to Randy Rainbow's YouTube channel and watch his video, um, Randy Rainbow's Sins the Parody, Trump's Favourite Things, and it will brighten your day up. Uh, um, Randy, Randy Rainbow is a, a true artist. It uh, um, brings a smile to my face every time I watch him. Uh, um, so, John, how can, find, how can people find out more things about you and what you're up to? You can find me at my website, LockdownSEO.com. And also go to YouTube, type in hashtag LockdownSEO, and you will see I'm posting videos on SEO every single day, 365. Are you a fan of Randy? I've never heard of him. You're introducing me. You've got to go to Randy Rainbow's YouTube channel. Adrian, uh, um, how can people find out more about you? And obviously your... They can go to groundhog with two G's.io. We have a also a free WordPress plugin hosted on the repository forward slash groundhog with two G's. 
Uh, and they can go and install either of those or from either of those resources, install a full functioning CRM and marketing automation tool right into their website for email, SMS, you name it, uh, we do it. And uh, they can also go to Facebook and find our Facebook page. We have a live chat. We have a Facebook group. So if there's any questions or support or anything that they need, they can go there. I think we're actually in that group, Jonathan. And we actually posted this, this, this live feed there as well. So. Oh, thank you. And we got our special guest, Jason. Hopefully, you seem to cope with the madness quite well and hopefully you'll come back. Um, how can people find out more about you, Jason? Yeah, anytime. And madness, uh, I have two sons under the age of three. So there's this is madness that is welcomed. Um, but people can find me, res.com. That's with three Zs or res on Twitter. I'd be happy to chat. Oh, thank you, Jason. And Spencer, how can people find out more about you and what you're up to? Oh, when I'm not homesteading out West or hanging out on Wix and Weebly, I'm usually helping people connect marketing automation solutions for WordPress membership sites at WPLaunchify.com. Did you have to swear? You know, Weebly, Wix, oh God. Um, Sorry, Wi-Fi, Squarespace. Um, Molten. How can people find out more about you? What are you up to, apart from going to the moon and all that stuff? Uh, come to LinkedIn Learning. We just released the new course for WordPress uh, for WP Rig 2.0 yesterday. Uh, we're in the process of unlocking it for everyone, so everyone can learn how to build modern progressive themes for free uh, using WP Rig. Uh, and we have a ton of other courses on everything under the sun, basically. So, yeah, check it out. LinkedIn slash learning. And folks, if you want to see our, um, our live shows, the earliest, go to the WP Tonic YouTube channel and subscribe and you'll be sent a notification. I normally publish everything there first and then it goes on to iTunes and everything else. And also, if you really want to support the show, go to iTunes and give us a review, good, bad or indifferent. And if it's funny, I'll probably read it out. Um, we'll see you next week when we have another great panel and another hopefully entertaining discussion. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.